African sleeping sickness, or African trypanosomiasis, is an endemic disease caused by the parasitic organism Trypanosome brucei. T. brucei transmits from the tsetse fly into the blood where it can remain for long periods of time. This is because it is able to cleverly evade the immune system by changing its surface glycoproteins, making it difficult for it to be recognised. Today's guest aims to better understand how this parasite is able to do this. Today's guest leads the trypanosome group at the Pasteur Institute in Paris. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Lucy Glover. Hello. Perfect. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us today. So I want to take you back to your PhD. What got you first interested in a T-BRUCI and a studying antigenic variation? For me, when I had finished my um, undergraduate and honours degree, I I realised through that that I was really interested in how infections manage to persist in our bodies and how they had evolved to sort of escape um, our immune system. And to be honest, it wasn't T. brucei that I was initially specifically interested in, but I was I was interested in, in all infections and kind of the process of this co-evolution of how a, an infectious agent gets into the body and survives and how your body then responds. I I, I will say that for me, the interest has always lie lain with the infection rather than with an immune response. So it was sort of how a parasite or a virus or or, or a bacteria managed to get in and, and what it had done to, to survive. And um, when I finished my studies, I moved to London and um, I actually applied for a job as a research assistant. Uh, and it was to look at antigenic variation in Trypanosoma brucei. And I got the job and it was just it was really fascinating. And during my interview, I had said to my then um, supervisor, you know, I would like to do a PhD, um, realizing that this was just a job for a research assistant. And so it was something I was looking to do. And um, six months into the job, he said, you know, we can, if you want, um, enroll you on a part-time PhD. So while you're you're working here, you can do a PhD at the same time. And um, I was thought that, that was actually great. You know, I really enjoyed the work that we're doing. It was exactly the type of thing I was interested in. And so that was how I sort of ended up working on antigenic variation in Trypanosoma brucei by, by starting off as a job. And then it turned into a PhD afterwards. I take it that to have a dual role in the lab required a lot of thought put into it uh, to make sure it all lined up, and that's pretty interesting. So to move towards your paper, we're discussing... So to move up towards the paper we're discussing today, could you introduce T. brucei for us? So Trypanosoma brucei, it's a protozoan parasite. It's a, a single-cell parasite and it exists in the mammalian bloodstream form. Um, one thing which is different to different for trypanosomes, um, unlike its closely related uh, sort of cousins, I suppose you would say, is that it is extracellular. So it doesn't invade any cell type. And that means that once it's in the bloodstream, it's constantly exposed to the host's immune system. It's also um, 
Infection is via uh, an insect vector, so it's via the tsetse fly. So you get bitten by a tsetse fly, it deposits trypanosomes into the skin, and then these then move into the capillaries and into the bloodstream. We do now know that trypanosomes can also move out of the bloodstream into um, other spaces. So we know it's in the fat, it's in the skin. Um, we're learning a lot more about you know, the tropism of the parasite, but it is known for being a parasite that exists in the bloodstream form. And so because it's constantly exposed to the immune system, it's had to develop a system that allows it to escape it and persist. So one of the forms of trypanosome, one of the species of trypanosomes that causes the human disease is known as Trypanosoma brucei gambiensi. And you can actually get very long infections with this, um, this species. So it says it's from months to years. And in fact, there are reported cases of people getting sick 25 years after they visited an endemic region in Africa. Those are more rare, but it just, it kind of tells you how long these parasites can exist within the, in the host. And so if they're going to exist for that period of time, they've really had to come up with a way in which to escape a constant immune pressure. And it's if you think about it as an arms race, the trypanosome is constantly trying to outmaneuver the in immune system, which is constantly trying to see and kill the trypanosome in the bloodstream form. And so it's evolved this mechanism we know as antigenic variation, where on the surface of the trypanosome is a protein called a variant surface glycoprotein. So we just call it a VSG. And there are 10 million molecules of the, this VSG on the surface of the trypanosome, which is a huge number of proteins for any cell to produce. So it's about, I think it's about 10% of the total cell mRNA, which, you know, it's, it's a lot for the cell to produce. And it's a single species of VSG that's found on the surface, meaning that every single VSG that's on the surface is identical. So what the immune system sees is this one type of VSG at any one point. But what the trypanosome does to kind of initiate this arms race, I suppose you could say, is that it can stochastically switch VSGs. So within the genome, certainly in the strain that I work on, there are more than 2,000 VSG genes that will each encode for a distinct VSG. And so that means that it can switch regularly and stay ahead of what the immune system has made an antibody to. So what we see with trypanosomes, it's called, we see these waves of parasitemia. So if you were to look in an infected mammalian host, be it a, a small mammal or a human host, you see a slow increase in the number of parasites in the bloodstream form, which then will drop down until such time you see the parasites increasing again. Again, So you can plot these waves in the graph. And what that is, is that it's a population of trypanosomes expressing a single VSG that increases in the host's bloodstream until the immune response kills those trypanosomes by antibody-mediated lysis. But within that population, it can be one, it can be two. For this purpose, let's say one. One trypanosome switches the VSG that's on the surface. And so now the immune system is naive to that new VSG. And so it grows out as a separate population. It's obviously a lot more complex than that in the actual mammalian host, but for the purposes of explanation, you know, that that's what we see happening. And so by having the stochastic switching, by having distinct VSGs, 
And another thing about the trypanosome is that if you look at the VSG coat on the surface, it's a densely packed coat. So people talk about it being as like a forest of VSGs. And it actually creates a, an, a barrier to the antibodies. And it also means that if your VSG is a, a certain shape, all that the immune system sees is the very top portion, which is exposed to the immune system. So it has to change very little in order to be distinct from the previous VSG. So all these little things that, you know, these little tricks that the trypanosome has evolved to, to develop all help it to evade that immune response. And so, I mean, this is what really fascinated me about it is that you could have something that would change apparently stochastically and it would be completely unseen by the immune system. And it had to change so little in order to be, you know, hidden from the next immune response. And so essentially it means that the immune response is constantly playing catch up. It's never going to get ahead of that, of antigenic variation. Um, and, you know, I, I just, that for me was just one of the most fascinating things about trypanosomes. Thanks for that explanation. The important thing that TBRCI uses is a VSG switching. So could you discuss a bit more about what that is? So within the trypanosome genome, they have around 2,000 VSG genes that are found in what they call subtelomeric regions. And these VSGs, not all of them are full length. Some of them are pseudogenes, some of them are missing stop codons, some of them are portions of VSGs. In order for a VSG to be expressed, it can only be expressed from a specialized locus known as an expression site. And within the genome, they're between... 15 to 20 of these expression sites. Each expression site has a distinct VSG and switching is the movement of the VSGs from either the subtelomeric region or one of the expression sites into the single active expression site. So this is another trick that the trypanosomes has is that what's what we call monoallelic expression. So they're fifth, they are 2,000 subtelomeric VSGs, that's almost a library that it can use for antigenic variation. It then has these highly specialized loci where, it, where the VSG is expressed from, these expression sites. But even though they're between 15 and 20, and it varies between species, only one is active at any one time and the rest is silenced. So it really ensures that only one VSG is expressed at any one time. And so, yeah, it's, you know, the other thing that the panosome has to do is it has to move genes from one position into the other in order to be expressed. Perfect. Thank you for the explanation. It's clear that with all the immune pressure against TPRCI, that it needs to have a clever way of switching its glycoprotein coat. Could you explain uh, the importance of a DNA double strand breaking um, in the telomeres, the ends of the DNA, which you've discussed a bit in the paper? So I mentioned that, you know, antigenic variation is what's involved is what we call the stochastic switching. So it's a switching that seems to happen randomly. And for a long time, we really didn't understand what preceded a switch, what triggered VSG switching. And what myself, and this was work that I did do during my PhD and other researchers um, showed was that these expression sites, which we've mentioned, 
are naturally fragile. So you get what's called subtelomeric fragility, and this is not unique to trypanosomes. You see it in, in other systems as well. But what happens is that there's a lot of repetitive DNA um, in these regions. They're at the end of the chromosome, so that they're right next to the telomere. And it leads to natural double-stranded breaks forming. And because we could detect and we could see these natural breaks, the, the real question was, well, does a double-stranded break lead to VSG switching? We knew from work that was done previously, and this is work that was done sort of in the, in the 90s, that there were certain DNA repair factors that were very important for VSG switching. And we knew that VSG genes were exchanged by gene conversion, which is a, a process in the homologous recombination pathway in the DNA repair pathway. So it was moving genes in and out to the expression sites. So we had this link that DNA repair and recombination was important, but what we were really missing was what was that initial trigger that led to that. And so what we did was there's a, a a homing endonuclease called ISC1. And if you know restriction enzymes, we know restriction enzymes cleave DNA. It's exactly like a restriction enzyme. It just has a very long um, recognition site. So it has a recognition site, which is 18 base pairs. And if you look at the size of the trypanosome genome and an 18 base pair recognition site, it's unlikely that that site is going to occur naturally in the genome, unlike other restriction enzymes that have shorter recognition sites. So we could integrate this recognition site into the genome wherever we wanted. And so we put it at an expression site and we could express this ISC1 homing endonuclease. And it means that we could form a double-stranded break at very specific precisions. And when we did that, and when we got a double-stranded break to form at the active expression site, we saw this massive increase in VSG switching. So we knew that these breaks could trigger VSG switching through using the DNA repair and homologous recombination pathway to move genes in and out to repair that double-stranded break. So it really was a matter of taking, a, you know, using a lot of information which had been known and then just asking what happens when we have one double-stranded break? Can we trigger VSG switching um, in that state? Perfect. So to move on to your results section. So for your first result, uh, which you were looking at about uh, that double strand breaks doesn't really uh, result in VSG switching. How did you go about investigating this? So one of the, the questions we wanted to ask in this paper, and, and so we knew that a double strand break could trigger a VSG switch, but that meant it was a very broad statement. And what we really wanted to know is where does the double-stranded break have to lie in order to get a switch? Does it matter, have to, can it lie anywhere within the active expression site? Or do you get gradients of VSG switching depending where it is? So that was the first thing that we were thinking about. The second is where the VSG is found in the expression site. It's at the end of the expression site next to the telomere. So it's the last gene on the chromosome. And upstream is this block of repetitive sequence that we call the 70 base pair repeats because it's a 70 base pair repeat region that's repeated multiple times. And I mean, it can be up to 5 KB. So it's very, very long. And for a long time, the people have proposed that either within trypanosomes, there was a natural restriction endonuclease or an endonuclease that cleaved that 70 base pair repeat that led to switching or fragility within the 70 base pair repeats 
led to natural breaks forming and a VSG switch. And so we really wanted to test this. One of the, and I will say one of the, the struggles that we had was getting a restriction, you know, the, the ISC1 meganuclease, the recognition site into the 70 base pair repeats. We can't target it to one specific area. It's repetitive. You just have to put it in and see where it falls. So we were lucky enough to get one in the middle of the 70 base pair repeats. And so we're, we're also very conscious. And I think it's important to note that you know, we're looking at one region within a 5 kb block. If a break falls right at the end and it's the break that's near the VSG, you probably are going to trigger VSG switching. But we were asking and we were trying to answer these, these questions like, is it a break within this block that leads to, to VSG switching? And what we found is that it's not, is that you can induce a break in the 70 base pair repeats and actually the cells repair incredibly quickly and they maintain the same VSG as on. So it's not a good trigger for VSG switching in this site. And so what we're trying to do is we're really trying to narrow the focus onto where does a break have to fall in order to initiate VSG switching. One of the really cool things that you used in the paper was a, a ISCI meganuclear system. So could you describe a bit about what this meganuclear system is and uh, how you used it in your study? So what we do is we, we integrate the, the ISC1 meganuclease recognition site into a fusion gene. So it's between a red fluorescent protein and a puromycin gene. The puromycin allows us to select for integration of that construct. So we select for cells that are puromycin resistant. And we know that the recognition site has gone on. We also have the, the RFP or the red fluorescent protein there. And we can use PCRs to show we have integration. It is a second selectable or negative selectable marker then as well, because if you induce a break and you get... Um, the first thing that happens after you induce double-stranded break for uh, repair is that you get resection. So you get single-stranded DNA forming. And this is a very important part of homologous recombination. When you do that, and whatever repair happens, whether it's repair within the fusion cassette or homologous recombination, you will damage the pyromycin gene. So you will remove a certain portion of the sequence, rendering it ineffective. So the cells become pyromycin-sensitive. So we can use it to screen clones after we've induced a break. So what we do is we only analyze the clones that are puromycin sensitive, that is indicative of uh, cutting by the meganuclease and the formation of a double-stranded break. So it means that we really only analyze those um, cells that have had that double-stranded break so we can see the effect of the ISC1 meganuclease there. Perfect. So to move on to the end of the result, um, you you found something quite exciting doing qPCRs. Could you describe a bit about what that is? So this was, uh, to be honest, a complete surprise to us. When we were doing these experiments, um, we the Alex, who's the the first author on the paper, she was doing some qPCR, and she was measuring the the expression of VSG two, which is the active VSG two in these cell lines, and she saw that you see a little dip, and then it very rapidly goes up, and so we went, okay, so we know that 
we think that repair is happening very quickly um, in these cells. And what we need is we need a control. Now we need to start looking at other things because you can't just rely on one gene. Let's see what's happened. So we, she was looking at other genes in the expression side and she was seeing some rather strange, or we thought were strange at the beginning profiles. Then we thought, you know, this is qPCR. What we really want to do is get a look at everything all at once. So we decided to invest in RNA-seq for these to see what was happening across the expression site. And what she found was that when we induced a break near the VSG, which triggers switching, we saw a distinct profile to when we induced a break upstream um, between two blocks of 70 base pair repeat that doesn't induce switching. And we were quite surprised because where you get switching, you see an upregulation of genes that are involved in homologous recombination. It's not all of them, and it is it is subtle, but it's clearly there. And it's suggesting that the break is initiating that pathway. Whereas when we induce a break and we don't see switching, we saw upregulation of ESAGs. Now, an ESAG is an expression site-associated gene. You find them at those 15 to 20 expression sites. And the two we saw an upregulation in were the ones right next to the promoter. And so it was suggesting that when we induced a break that didn't lead to VSG switching, you saw the other promoters and the promoters are all on at a very low level, but we still consider them to be silent because no VSG is expressed. But we saw an increase in expression suggesting that they were being opened or maybe in a readied state in case that microhomology mediated end joining disrupted the expression site to the extent where you affected VSG transcription. So we, it was almost like it was a backup. In case that repair failed, it could quickly switch on another expression site and the cell would survive. So the VSG itself is essential. If you um, RNAi the VSG, the cells will die. So we think it's it's that, is that the cell knows it has to have VSG on the surface. It has to have VSG being transcribed so it had this backup pathway and it went, look, if this repair fails, we better change very, very quickly. So all of the other promoters managed to come on to a, to a greater extent. And so even though these double-stranded breaks are, you know, no more than 5 kb apart, the expression profiles were completely different. Um, and it, it was quite an unexpected result that we when we saw that. Absolutely. Um, we, we, it's really interesting. And uh, we've seen in this podcast before that sometimes the thing that you don't think is going to amount to much or is a big risk ends up being the uh, ends up being one of the most exciting things about the paper. Could you describe to us, because since this paper was released in November last year, 2021, where did it go from here? So we are still interested in understanding and now, especially that we we have that result where different breaks seem to trigger different gene expression um, profiles. So what we're now trying to think about doing, and we're kind of setting up the systems where we can look at why it is that a break in a certain position will lead to homologous recombination. Like, why is it that you see that? How do you trigger that pathway? Um, but we're interested in doing it as a, from a bit more of a kind of global perspective. What what we're doing now is. It's a bit, we we look at a break and then we see, is this candidate involved or is that candidate involved? And I think what we what we really need to do is take a step back and say, all right, what happens globally? You know, is there something, can we take an unbiased 
way of looking at this to say what's happening in the cells and can we collect all that data and then, you know, through analysis, see that whether there are differences or not. So we actually initiated two, which might seem unrelated at the moment, but I think we'll get there in the end, projects where we're starting to look at um, the phosphoproteome and the acetylome of DNA damage in trypanosomes and specifically DNA damage at the expression site. So we're taking the site which induces a VSG switch and we're doing time course phosphoproteomics and we're looking at the acetylome as well. And so what we're trying to see is that are there any distinct post-translational modifications on a specific cohort of genes or gene that is important for repair at this region? And then if we know what those genes are, can we then link that back to how it's triggering the different changes and how it's triggering different repair pathways? So what we're, as I said, what we're trying to do is we're trying to step back from doing sort of one small change after the other, see if we can do something globally unbiased as well. So we're not actually looking at a knockout of just RAD51 or a knockout of one other gene and homologous recombination. Can we try and do this and get the whole cohort of genes that's involved? And because we have these cell lines, which Alex very beautifully set up, we ha- we can trigger breaks at different regions. So And so we can say, what's the global phosphoproteome for a break at the 70 base pair of peats? What does it look like compared to one where we do trigger a, a switch? You know, are that we imagine it's completely different. The acetylome is something which we're interested in as well because we know there's a histone acetyl transferase, which previously has been linked to DNA damage repair um, following a VSG switch. So what is it? Is it a histone protein? Is it a non-histone protein? And can we start to tease apart what's important? And then can we say how these genes are involved? why this break in particular leads to VSG switching and not another, and, you know, how these pathways, how repair pathway choice is governed in trypanosomes. Fantastic. Um, thank you so much for talking us through your paper about trypanosome brucei, and it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Great. Great. It's an, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you both times. <laughs>